Remain standing, and would you open up with me to Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. If you're not able to pull it up, or if you don't have a Bible with you today, it'll also be on the screen behind me. But let's read together in Matthew 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone." But Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated at this time. If you're new with us today, my name is James Yandel. I'm one of the pastors at this church, and you picked a really good time to join us today. Last week, we started a new series in which we're going through the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, and we're calling it Our King and His Kingdom. So as we're going through this series, we're basically trying to explore what does it look like for God's kingdom to be here on the earth today. Like we know at some point Jesus is going to come back and usher in the reign of God forever. But in the meantime, we're living in this in-between time where the kingdom is here, but also not quite here yet. So we're exploring what does it look like for us to live in God's kingdom today. And as we explore this concept, and as we go through Matthew 4, there's something true for you and for me as we begin to follow Jesus. And if you don't know that this is going to happen, it may catch you off guard. It may catch you by surprise if you're not ready for it. And this is the truth, that the more you desire God in your life, the more resistance you are going to face. The more you desire God in your life, the more you desire to follow Him, the more resistance you are going to face in this life. In one of Jesus' most well-known examples of prayer, He prays, Thy kingdom come. And I'm sure if you have not prayed that before in your life, you at least have heard this prayer, Thy kingdom come on this earth. But one thing I don't think we realize is that when you invite God's kingdom to come into your life, you're actually inviting conflict into your life as the new and better kingdom of Jesus clashes with the old ways and the old habits of your life. So if you're a Christian or if you're trying to follow Jesus, you're going to find that you're caught in the middle of this battle between the new and better kingdom and the old and dying kingdom of this world. As the Apostle Paul says very famously in Romans chapter 7, he says, 
I don't understand myself. For, what, for when I want to do what's right, I actually don't do it. But instead, I do what I hate. So today, I'm sort of calling this talk, How to Fight Temptation. Because to follow God in this life means that you're going to experience resistance and you're going to experience temptation. Bet on it. It is going to happen if you're going to follow God in this life. But one thing that we cannot forget is that resistance is often a sign that you're going in the right direction. Resistance is often a sign you're going in the right direction. Let me give you an example. Take exercise as an example, right? So if I were to sort of picture myself waking up tomorrow morning at 5 o'clock in the morning to get up and run, there's a resistance that rises up in my heart to that, and it's called laziness. Like, I'm probably not going to do that tomorrow morning because I have this resistance in my heart. How about another example? How about school, right? As all the college students, or if you're high school students, or if you've been in school, you know that there's a resistance in your heart to finishing term papers, Like, I'm always the guy who would do it the night before it was actually due. And actually, the last paper I wrote, I did it the day it was due, a 20-page paper. Not a great idea, but I have this resistance in my heart called laziness. Like, we know these things are good. It's good to exercise. When you exercise, you're healthier, you're more exuberant, you're you're happier, you're more joyful. When you do papers before they're due, you're less stressed. We know these things are good, but a resistance rises up as we sort of try to do them. So resistance is a sign you're going in the right direction. And the tension today and the truth for your life is that when you start to follow God seriously, there will be constant temptation to go back to your old life. Like there will be this ever-present sort of nagging in your life to go back to the things that you don't want to do anymore. I'll give you another example. So I love my smartphone. I, I love this thing. It's super helpful in my life, super useful. But lately I've been getting sort of annoyed by it because it's giving me all these notifications, right? So not the good kind of notifications, not someone texting me, not someone calling me, but the notifications of like Starbucks telling me I haven't been there in a while. Right? You ever get those notifications? Like literally it'll pop up at 2.15 in the afternoon and say, hey, we've been missing you at Starbucks, right? And the other day I actually looked down and you know how it has that little like top bar right here at the very top of the, the thing? Basically every single spot was filled with a notification. It was like app updates, the Starbucks thing, like all the like low battery, all this different stuff. I had all these notifications at the top of it. So while the smartphones are good, I feel like there's this constant nagging for me to, to step away from what I'm doing and to go back and to look at it. In the same way, I think the temptation and the call to our old life is like that for all of us as we try to follow Jesus Christ. So whether it's lust, gossip, doubt, Greed, sometimes the pull of these old desires are so strong that we cannot even imagine trying to overcome them. And I'm sure you could probably think of something in your life, at least one thing, if not more than a few, like myself, but I'm sure you can think of at least one thing in your life that you feel like is holding you back from experiencing and flourishing under God's presence and in His kingdom. Do any of these sound familiar? I'm in a trap. And I can't get out. How about, I don't control it. It controls me. 
whether it's the things you watch or the things you say or the attitudes you have or the doubt that you experience, these things seem to be so powerful so often in our life that it seems like there's no way out. At some level, you want to be done with them, but at another level, you really don't because you like to do them. The bad news today, and I speak from personal experience, so if you're in this boat, don't worry, you're not alone. The bad news today is that we, if we constantly give in to these things that hold us back, it causes us to lose hope, to think we can't get over them, and to resign ourselves to saying, this is just who I am. And you don't have to raise your hand here today, but is anyone there today? Do you feel like there are things in your life that are holding you back, that are keeping you from experiencing all that God has for you? And you've tried the strategies, you've gone to the WikiHow articles on the internet, and nothing seems to be working. The good news for you, if that's you, and a lot of times that's me, but if the good news is that's you, is that there is a way out. That there is a way to break free from old habits and the things that you hate to do. In our passage in Matthew 4, as we sort of introduce this, basically it's a showdown between Jesus and Satan. Like, I like to think of it as a cage match between good and evil. Basically, Matthew 4 recounts a time when at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right after he sort of goes public... God sends him into the wilderness to face off against Satan. It's a weird story. Like, if we're going to be honest, it's sort of a weird story. Jesus goes in the wilderness, Satan shows up out of nowhere, and they go to battle. And I feel like if, it, you know, if I were writing this story, I would expect it to be sort of a, an epic Dragon Ball Z style battle where they're like popping up in the air, doing the fight, and the, the Kamehamehas, all that kind of stuff. But they don't even touch each other. It's, it's, it's a psychological battle of the minds. So why is it in there? Why, why would this story be in the Bible and how does that help you in your temptation and in your struggles with temptation? I think the reason this is in the Bible is that this story was basically a test to see if Jesus is truly the Savior of the world who can help us, or if he's just another leader who's going to break his promises. Like, is this truly the Savior of the world, and can he truly help us to get over the things that are destroying us, or is he going to be another person who breaks his promise? Right at the outset, think about who told this story. Who put it in the Bible? Think about the characters in the story. You have Jesus. You have Satan. You have some animals, maybe. But besides that, that's all that's who's there. So who told the story? It's not Satan, right? Satan's about to get whooped in this story. It must have been Jesus Christ. So Jesus told this story to his followers to write down so that it would reach us today. And why is that? I think that Jesus' victory that he experiences here in this wilderness is going to be an encouragement to everyone in the centuries to come who faces temptation. Like if Jesus is victorious in this story, then that means that we too can be victorious. So I hope today that if you're struggling with things in your life and you have things that you feel like are holding you back, I hope today is like a missing puzzle piece for you. So let's take a deeper look at the story. If you look back at the text, let's start in the first four verses and we'll, we'll go from there. 
So in verse 1 it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and he said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So at the very beginning here, we have to see that God sent Jesus into the wilderness. He says he was led by the Spirit to be tested and tempted by Satan. And whenever we in our 21st century post-modern, intellectual, millennial minds, we, we hear about a person named Satan and we think that he belongs back in the medieval ages, right? I mean, if we're going to be honest with each other, the idea that there's a figure out there who's sort of influencing the world, or that there's spiritual forces of evil out there, doesn't seem to click with our 21st century minds. But the way that I look at it, Without Satan, you don't have Jesus. And let me tell you how we get there. Without Satan, you don't have sin. And without sin, you don't need a Savior. And without a Savior, you don't have Jesus coming into the world. So for me, when I look out at the world and I see some of the sick and twisted things that people do out there, and as I pop the hood of my heart and I see some of the the lust and desires and the greed that I have in my heart, It's easier for me to believe that there there are supernatural things influencing this world. And the Bible affirms that. Ephesians 6, it says, For we do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this dark world. So God is going to throw Jesus into the ring with Satan. And that is good news for us because it means that temptation is not defeat. It's opportunity. Temptation is not defeat. It's opportunity. We have to realize that Jesus was tempted by Satan, but he did not sin. Hebrews affirms that Jesus was actually tempted in every way that we are tempted, but did not sin. So before we talk about strategies, and before we talk about how to overcome temptation, I have to make sure that you understand and that you actually believe in your heart that temptation itself is not defeat. And I think that matters because sometimes we we come up with like thoughts in our heart or we have a temptation to do something and we think, man, I'm a Christian. I, I shouldn't be having these thoughts. Like why is that random thought popping up into our mind? And sometimes if we see that as just being bad in and of itself, then we will put ourselves in defeat and we'll be less likely to actually fight it. Temptation is not defeat, but I'll expand it just a little bit, hopefully throw it up on the screen. But temptation presents the opportunity to choose what's in front of you or to choose all that God had for you or has for you. So let's flesh that out just a little bit, right? So Jesus goes into the wilderness. He's fasting. Satan comes to him. He hits him when he's at his weakest, right? Uh, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. He's, He's super hungry. So Satan tries to hit him with his physical desires. Basically, Satan says, hey, if you're the son of God, if you come from heaven and you have these powers, why don't you make these stones become bread? And we see that and we think, you you know, it probably wouldn't be too bad for Jesus to do that, right? It's not hurting anybody. You can make stones become bread if you wanted to. But elsewhere in the Bible, elsewhere, Jesus says that the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others. 
And so basically what Satan is trying to do is make Jesus basically twist why he came to earth to use his powers to serve himself instead of serving other people. But Jesus got past it. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Half the battle as you face temptation is just looking past the thing that's in front of you to all that God has for you. Temptation causes you to look like just very smallly right in front of you. But what God calls you to do is look at all that he has planned for your life, all the goodness, all the joy that he has planned for your life. And if you choose this thing in front of you, you do not get to have all of that. So that's how Jesus sort of faces off against the first temptation. But let's go on a a little bit as we flesh that out more. Look at verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So what's he talking about here? I'll sort of flesh it out. All right, so the first temptation fails Jesus. So Satan basically takes him, puts him on the pinnacle of the temple, which was in Jerusalem. Would have been a very populated place where a lot of religious people would go, a lot of Jews of his day. He puts him on the temple and he says, hey, jump off. And I think when we hear that, maybe with, I mean, is he trying to make him like, like kill himself? Like what, what's Satan trying to do here? But you know, we get a little bit of clue of what his strategy was. Basically he says, hey, Satan actually quotes the Old Testament. He quotes it out of context, but he still quotes it. He says, hey, if you're the son of God, if you're truly from God, then the Old Testament, the scripture says that he will protect you. So you're going around, you're saying you're the son of God, you say you're from heaven, so jump off and angels will protect you and you can prove to everybody that you're truly the son of God. But what does Jesus do? He quotes scripture again. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's an Old Testament scripture. So that gives us a little insight into the first strategy that we have against fighting temptation. Strategy number one is defeat temptation by feeding your appetite for God. Defeat temptation by feeding your appetite for God. Notice that before Jesus was even tempted, he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was spending time in prayer. He was spending time in the Word. He obviously knew the Word because he could quote it. And Jesus, as our example, was feeding his appetite for the mission of God. One of the truest things that I can say to you today is that if you feed your appetite for God, it will grow. And if you feed your appetite for sin, it will grow. That's one of the realest things I can say to you today because I speak out of personal experience when I say that. That you are created with desires in your heart. That you have desires for pleasure and for goodness and for joy and God put those in you and those are good desires. The problem is that because of sin that you are such a complicated, convoluted mess of desires and wants that compete for one another in this life. And so to tell you just to sort of avoid temptation or avoid sin or try to block everything off from the world, you can't do that because you're made with desires. And so in order to defeat temptation, you have to feed the desire for God. 
the more you give yourself to the things of God, like reading His Word and prayer, the more you want to give yourself to reading His Word and prayer. And the more you give yourself to that particular sin in your life, the more you want to give in to that particular sin in your life. So whether it's the things you watch, you know where I'm going with that, the things you watch, the things that you say to other people, whether it's greed or gossip or whatever it is, whether it's the doubt that you experience or the circumstantial doubt that you experience God's goodness, whatever these things are, the more you give in to them, whatever your personal pet sin is, the more you want to do those things. Remember the clashing kingdoms, right? The new kingdom is clashing with the old kingdom. And you have this choice before you. Which kingdom are you going to give into in that moment? Uh, I want to use an example, uh, a couple of stories from Greek mythology. Did anyone read the Odyssey? Uh, you know, Homer's Odyssey back in the day. You had to read it in school. Um, most people read it in school. But it's a pretty good story. But in that story, basically a man named Odysseus goes on a journey, right? And there's a lot of things I'm not going to get into. Honestly, a lot of things I don't really remember from it. But uh, Odysseus goes on a journey and he takes a boat, right? And he's sailing with his companions and they're going past this region, And before he got there, he was warned by this person that that as he goes by this island, there were going to be these beings called sirens. You remember the the, the story of the sirens, right? So these these creatures, whatever they were, were basically sort of female creatures on this island. And they would sing and they would make beautiful music. And in fact, the music was so beautiful that people who sailed by this island would end up steering toward the island, but they would end up crashing against the rocks and falling into the sea. It's exactly a like temptation, right? So what uh, Odysseus does in the story before they go is they, they tape up their ears and they bind themselves to the ship and they steer it straight ahead so that even though the call to move toward the island was so strong, they they couldn't really hear it, and they also couldn't steer because they were tied up. And I feel like a lot of times that's the way that we try to approach temptation and sin. Like we try to remove ourselves from the world, or in my case, one time I tried to get rid of my smartphone, didn't work. But the problem is you can't get away from the world. And in fact, Jesus sent you to live in the world. So this strategy that Odysseus has and the strategy that we try to have of pulling away from just everything in the world doesn't work because we cannot, you know, get ourselves away from it enough. But I think there's a better way, and it's actually another story from Greek mythology, and it has to do with a man named Orpheus. Has anyone heard of this story before? It's a little lesser-known story, but it's really phenomenal. So Orpheus was a well-known and legendary musician who can make beautiful music. And there's a story where he and his companions also had to sail by this island. But in this story, instead of having all of them tape up their ears and bind themselves to the mast, whenever Orpheus heard the song and the voices of the sirens, he pulled out his instrument and he sang more loud, he sang louder and more beautifully than the sirens. And the story actually says that his song drowned out the sirens' bewitching songs. And in the same way, I feel like we can do that with the song of Jesus Christ in our lives. 
that as we read his word and as we pray and as we surround ourselves with Christian community and with others who lift up our soul, and as we listen to songs that stir our hearts, the desire to sin will decrease because there is a louder and more beautiful song of Jesus Christ. Jesus will help you when you feel like you are under a spell. And that's why he's given us his word, and that's why he's given us community. Let's look a little bit further on in verse 8 as we move toward the end. It says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, What does he say? He says, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The last temptation of Jesus was for him to gain his kingdom without his suffering. That Jesus is a king But in order to gain his kingdom, he had to go to the cross. So what Satan was essentially saying, he's saying, you're a king? Where's your kingdom at? I'll give you a kingdom. I'll give you lots of kingdoms. I got lots of kingdoms in this world. And and that's true. The Bible calls Satan the prince of the world. So Satan was offering Jesus a shortcut to becoming our king. The problem is, as Satan often does, is he only told half of the story. Like Satan could have given Jesus a kingdom, but it would not have been a kingdom that lasted. Only God's kingdom lasts. And secondly, he could have given him a kingdom, but it would have been a kingdom without you. I want you to picture this with me for a moment. You can kind of close your eyes if it helps you picture, but picture Jesus on that mountain, right? I'm not sure how, I'm not sure all the logistics of how it worked. But Jesus is on that mountain and Satan is showing him all the kingdoms of the earth and all their glory and all their splendor, all their buildings, all their people. And I can imagine for us, if we were up there, we'd probably take an Instagram selfies and all that kind of stuff. We'd just be floored going Facebook Live with it, right? But what does Jesus do? Think about Jesus standing up there. I don't think that Jesus was looking at the buildings at all. I think that Jesus was looking at the people in those cities. I think that Satan's attempt to get Jesus to go against his mission and to accept these kingdoms backfired in spectacular display. Because all Satan did was put in front of Jesus the people of earth whom he loved. He saw us in our brokenness. He saw us in our need. He saw us as we struggled with the things that continue to weigh us down. And I can only imagine that in that moment, it caused Jesus to love us more. He knew what he had to do for us. He did not want a kingdom without us. Which is why he went to the cross, right? Because Jesus wanted a kingdom with us. So he goes to the cross. 
He dies on the cross. He breaks the power of sin and death over us. And he rises victorious from the grave so that we too can rise from the things that keep us down. The Old Testament begins with the story of a man in a garden choosing what was right in front of him instead of what was best for him. But the opening scenes of the gospel is a man choosing what's best for us instead of what was right in front of him. So why do my call for you today, if you're here today struggling with sin, is to keep fighting. And when you're under attack, the thing that I'm going to leave you with, that when you're under attack is defeat temptation by going to the king. As we draw to a close today, um, as I leave you guys with this thought, being in God's kingdom means that he is truly the king. Not the sin in your life. Jesus is truly the king of your life. And if you're struggling with old habits and with sin in your life, you can go to Jesus. You can trust him. Jesus is the people's champion. Jesus is the undefeated champ. This story shows us that he's not another leader who's going to break his promises, but that he is truly a leader and truly a king who will help you with your temptation. I cannot promise you that your fight against sin and temptation is going to be easy. But I can promise you that you will never fight it alone. And if you have sin in your life, if you have temptation in your life that has set itself up on the throne of your heart, then you tell that sin that it needs to get off because the king is here and that throne belongs to him alone. Jesus has the power to overcome temptation in your life. He can break the bonds and the strongholds that are holding you back. Because when all the filth and all the temptation and all the seductions and all the sin of this world came against Jesus Christ, it hit a brick wall. Jesus' golden character shows us that he will help us. It did not overcome him and it will not overcome us. As your church, as one of the pastors of your church, I promise that I will be here with you as well. That we will pray for you. That we can help one another in this fight. And when you fall to that next temptation, dust yourself off, get back up. You're forgiven in the gospel. You're forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. But get up and keep fighting. Fight your sin for the sake of your king. And when you fight and when you rely on Jesus Christ, he will promise to be with you. And as the story shows, Satan will leave you and the temptation will leave you. So I know you're not going to be perfect as we leave and I'm not going to be perfect as we leave. But my hope for you and my prayer for you today is that you would continue to fight in the power of the Spirit. and That you'd recognize that you are free in Jesus. Christ. So I'm going to pray that over you today as we close. If you need prayer, just come to us. God is here and he is powerful in this place. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,
sin is so seductive. Lord, we just seem to be so drawn to the things in our life that hold us down. To the old lust and to the old greed and to the old desires of our heart that, that are not part of your kingdom. But Heavenly Father, in this place, I pray, I, I pray that we would see that Jesus Christ is King, that he is reigning, that he is King in our life, not the sin that we struggle with. And I pray for this week, Lord, as each of us think about the things that are holding us back, that we would speak the truth of Jesus Christ into those things. I pray that you would empower us by your grace and by your spirit to live free and to flourish in your kingdom in this life. It's in the name of the Father, it's in the name of the Son, and it's in the name of the Holy Spirit that we pray as one people. Amen.